How are we doing this morning? If you were like me and your uh, family, Mike, we have young kids that just started school. This is the first full week of school, uh, which has been exciting to get back on normal routines. Last week, I felt like everything went really well because we're super excited. Uh, this week, come Wednesday, everybody was really tired, was exhausted. Um, and I, f- I felt that. So it was like early bedtimes, and then they woke up early, so they're more tired the next day. I don't know if you guys felt that same level of tired or exhaustion or maybe work is starting to pick up again and maybe just getting here was like <clears throat> the thing you were looking for today. Like you just, you made it here. You're coming in a little tired today. Right, I think so many of us walk around tired and some of us would just be tired of being tired because of all the things that we have going on. Before my wife and I moved out here, we lived in Ohio. I worked at a, a small uh, Christian university Uh, And if you've ever worked in a small organization, you know that you usually wear multiple hats. Uh, A lot of things is expected out of you, and you take on a lot of responsibilities. Uh, And so in doing so, I was uh, over our student activities program. So it was a program that I developed from the ground up when I first got there. Uh, So it was part of residency life, just programming events for students to come and to hang out. On top of that, um, I was helping to start up our career services. So I was helping seniors write resumes, look for job opportunities as they came about. Um, And somehow I started overseeing the mail center. I I literally have no idea how I got that job. I think I was just in the room when uh, somebody was looking for help and they said, oh yeah, you can do that. Um, I had just graduated with my master's and so I started teaching class. I was teaching a student success class. So a a class for all the freshmen to come through to teach them basic life skills. This is how you go to class. This is how you do homework. You know, basic life skills. Um, It was about 80 to 100 students that were in that. On top of that, I was coaching volleyball. Because why not? Right? Collegiate volleyball, that's easy. Just add it on top of everything. I was doing a lot of things. I was saying yes to opportunities because I was young and I thought it would build my resume. So that when I left, I would, you know, have a lot of experience. But what I realized is I was just really tired a lot of the time. So my daily routine, because I was young, I wanted to be one of the first ones into the office. So I would wake up early, walk the dogs, get out the door, uh, be at the office before 8 o'clock, before everybody else was there. I would go through my normal work day. I'd go teach class. I'd get ready for practice, go to practice, be at practice from 3 to 5. If we had an event, I would stay late for that event. And if I had a game, I would stay even later. And then I would drive home. And I remember one night when I was driving home, I would, I would take the back way and I stopped in this little town and I, I stopped at a four-way stop sign. And I remember thinking, I'm just going to close my eyes and wait for it to turn green. It was a stop sign. It never turned green. And I, I don't know how long I was there for, but I remember a car coming up behind me and remembering... Uh, jumping awake and carrying on on my way home and thankfully I made it home but I was burning the candle on both ends I was doing way too much I was utterly exhausted and as I look around I recognize maybe some of you experience that stress and anxiety as I share some of the load that I was carrying that maybe that's the same load you're carrying now to a place where you're just exhausted you have a lot of things that are going on So what I want to do for the next minute is on your note guide, if you brought the note guide, uh, there's a section that says, are you or why are you exhausted? I want you to look at the different things that you have going on in your life that are leading you to a place to feeling overextended. So take a minute right now. We're going to take a church minute. 
to write down some of those things. If you don't have a note guide, that's fine. You have a phone. I love taking notes on my phone during the sermon, so you can write down on your phone. What are some of those things in your life that are bringing you to a place of exhaustion? Go ahead and write those things down now. Like I said, we take about a church minute, so that was about 20 seconds. Some people thought that felt like an eternity. But what I think is crazy is culturally, we use busyness as a badge of honor. So when we greet people, we say, how are we doing? We say, oh, I was busy. Like, that's, that's a good thing. But I feel like that leads us to this place where we're overcommitted. And I, I have to believe there, there has to be a better way. There has to be a better way. And as we were leaving Ohio, one of, my, one of my friends at the time started, we started walking through Matthew together. And we read through Matthew eleven twenty eight, And I just want to read it here today to hopefully show us that there is a different way. So hear these words this morning. This is Jesus talking. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Some of you came here this morning just to hear that. Just to be reminded of that. There is a simple invitation that Jesus is calling us into. And as we look at this whole text, we have to remember where where Jesus is coming from. So before he teaches into this, he's teaching his disciples about two things. The first one, he he is angry about towns that they have just come from, where he performed great signs and wonders. He performed miracles, but those towns did not repent to acknowledge Jesus as their savior, and they kept going on in their very same way. And the next thing that he was teaching his, his disciples about, he was, he was teaching them about the intimacy that he has with the Father. And he was inviting them into that very same relationship that the Father has with the Son and the Son has with the Father. But yet the disciples still didn't get it. And then he comes to this passage and he's still inviting them into it. And he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. And he's recognizing something when he's using this language. So when he's talking about you who are weary and burdened, what he's doing is he's talking about a cultural expectation that the Pharisees were putting on them for not being good enough. He's talking about a cultural expectation that's put on them for not being good enough. And Jesus is inviting them into something more. So as you look at your list of things that are exhausting you, Some of those things we have control over, some of those things we don't. But sometimes we have this cultural expectation that we need to do more, to be more, so that other people will value us and appreciate and love us. And maybe it's not cultural. All right, maybe it's work. Maybe it's not work. Maybe it's family that's putting this expectation on us to be something that practically you can't be. 
Jesus is, is breaking it down by saying, I have more to offer you. But you have to recognize these expectations before we can move forward. So he's giving them this invitation. He's saying, come to me, those of you who carry heavy expectations and don't know how to break free of those. Because then he continues to talk about this yoke. He says, take my yoke upon you. And as we talk about this yoke, what is a yoke? Right? And a yoke is what oxen would, would be harnessed in. There would be two oxen, right? And they would have a plow in between of them to plow the fields. And he's saying, take my yoke upon you. So he's saying two things. He's saying, bind yourself to me. Bind yourself to me. And what you realize is if you're bound to somebody stronger than you, you slowly begin to take on their pace and their rhythm in life. You cannot go faster or slower than somebody who is stronger than you. And that also calls us into a place of submission because we have to learn how to walk in step, in stride with that person that we're yoked to. He's saying, bind yourself to me. And then he continues to say, he says, because I am gentle and humble, which is in complete opposition to what the Pharisees were putting upon the disciples. And then you will find rest in your souls because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. As he's talking about his yoke that is easy, he's saying that my yoke will fit you just right. My yoke will fit you just right. It will not chafe you when you wear it. It will be comfortable. It will fit with you if you can learn to submit to my ways. It's like putting on a new pair of jeans or a new outfit that you just get from the store. You know what I'm talking about. When you put on those new jeans and they just like fit just right. And you want to wear them all the time. I've worn these for two weeks straight. That's a joke, kind of. But it's, it, it, it's that comfortable, right fit that Jesus is calling us into. Now listen, I think we get it wrong when we experience exhaustion. Because what we want to do is we want to pray for rest. We want to say, God, just give me rest. Take me out of this situation. Let me just go to the beach for a week to recover. We want that rest so desperately. But what Jesus is calling us into is something far different. He's inviting us to be bound to him. So he's not saying, he's not gonna say, I'm gonna take you out of this. But he's saying, we need to evaluate the pace of life that you are living because I have a new way of living that I'm inviting you into. So I think instead of praying for rest, we need to learn how to pray for more of Jesus. We need to, to learn to be in his presence and that will give us rest. And I think God has established this beautiful rhythm from the very beginning that I think we need to evaluate this morning. So what I want to do is I want to jump into Genesis for just a quick minute to see what rhythm God has established for us and that he wants us to follow. So as we look at the creation story, he, play, he, he, he lays it out so plainly You'll probably start to remember it as we journey through it. And so God in Genesis is the ultimate creator and he's bringing everything to life. So on day one, he creates the light and the dark. Day two, the clouds and the ocean. Day three, the land, the plants and the trees. And he calls it good. Day four, the moon, the sun and the stars. And it was also good. 
Day five, the birds, the fish, and it was good. And he tells them to multiply. Day six, he creates the animals and he creates mankind. And it was very good. And then on day seven, what does he do on day seven? He rests. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. Thus setting a pattern and a rhythm that he wants us to follow. He realizes the importance of what he has done. He didn't rest because he was tired. I don't think God gets tired. But when we look at the word rest, right, the Hebrew um, word here was used was the shavath, meaning to cease or to rest. We use the word Sabbath to describe this, and the noun uh, version of this implies that God's work of creation was completed, so he stopped. He had six days to create, and it was completed, so he stopped. I think what we do in our work week is we spend so much time getting so much done that we never have time to stop and to reflect on what was good. He says, and it was good. So I think he took time to be able to reflect and to rest on what was good, to look back on what he created. And I think he set up this beautiful example for us about how we should be living because God instituted the Sabbath to give us rest. God instituted the Sabbath to give us rest. Because he knows how easily we're swayed and how the things that we do can often become who we think that we are. And I think God knows we needed a moment just to be intertwined again with the Father, to have a day to be reminded of who we truly are, because you are not what you do. And so I think God had to set this rhythm for us And he continually reminded us of this. So then I look, we fast forward a little bit to Exodus. We see Moses leading the Israelites. And God had this divine intervention moment where he said, you guys need to wake up. And he gave Moses the Ten Commandments. Right, and the the Ten Commandments, the first one, is have no other gods besides me. The second one, have no idols. Number three was do not use my name in vain. Number four was what? Remember the Sabbath. So Exodus, I'm going to read this. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter nor your male or female servants nor your animals nor any foreigner residing in your town. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. I think we need to remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Now what does that mean? What does it mean if something is holy? And if you've been around here long enough, we like to say to be holy means to be set apart. We have a day that is set apart that looks no, that looks much different than the rest of the week. 
You have a rhythm in your week where there's one day that just looks fundamentally different. This should be a day that we can bask in the goodness of God. We can remember the creator, to be one with the father, to not have to get something done. We don't need to rush around, but we can slow down. Be reminded of who the creator is. To simply be able to find rest that we so desperately need. Doesn't that just sound so good? To be able to bask in the goodness of God, to have one day that is truly set apart. And now it's confession time because I think Steve had me do this sermon on purpose because I have a very hard time with this. I mean, even to the fact, like, usually Sundays during third hour, I have my sticky note of the three things that must get done by the end of the day. So that I go home and those are the three things that I need to do to feel accomplished for the day. Like, this is so intertwined within me. So I think Steve was secretly laughing. He said, hey, who's the most high energy person on staff? You, go teach about resting. Thanks. So it's been very humbling to do this. And what I don't want to happen is I don't want this to be a moment of just guilt by saying, like, you guys aren't doing this right. Because I, th- I simply think by, by being here, this is a part of it. To stop, to reorient our, our weeks, to be able to reflect on the goodness of God. So you're not all far off, right? This is, the, this is one of those super important moments to be able to, to come and reflect on who he is. But if I'm being honest, I have a lot of excuses as to why resting is challenging. My wife and I, we have five kids at home. So for me, my perfect day of Sabbath would be to, to sleep in, to have a late breakfast, maybe to leisurely read my Bible, have a co- casual conversation with my wife. And having kids makes that all very challenging. Not impossible, just challenging. And so I don't want this to be a day to say like, you're not doing this right. But sometimes I feel like we just, we just need a day to get things done. Right, we just need a day to just get a bunch of things done. And that's what I want my weekends to look like. But pastor and author Eugene Peterson once called an activity day, a filled day off. He called it the bastard Sabbath. He said, a bastard Sabbath was a day off from work that is used to get all of our personal stuff done. It's what the typical American Sunday looks like. And I think God instituted the Sabbath because we have all time during the week wrapped up in all the things that we do that he needs a day that's set apart so we can slowly unwind all those things that we align ourselves with during the week. We need to slowly unwind our identity from work that we so intertwined ourselves with, from the things that we do because you are not what you do. We're not a list of things that need to get done. Sometimes we just need to sit and bask in the goodness of God. I think some of us have a runner's mindset when it gets to taking a day off. Now, some of you probably aren't runners, but I ran in high school, and my coach in high school would always say, you can never take more than 24 hours off, because if you do, you will lose all the fitness that you have worked so hard for for this entire season. 
And so I never wanted to take a day off. It's like, well, I'm going to lose all that I've worked for. Like, I'm just not going to rest. I'm just going to keep going and keep going. I think some of us have taken that philosophy to work into every other aspect of our life. But what I've realized, the older and the wiser that I get, I actually wanted to like look at the scientific data that actually proved that. So as I looked into the data, it actually says, yes, you do lose a little bit of fitness if you take one day off, but you lose one to three percent per day that you take off. One to three percent, which is so in, so small, so micro mental, right? So insignificant, the amount that you would lose, that you would have to take two to three weeks off to notice any change in your pace, in your actual fitness. Sometimes I think that we're, we often think we're better than we really are, so we put ourselves into situations where people actually need us. When I think the God of all creation said, it's okay to take a day off. It's, a day, it's okay to have a day to rest, to not be bound up in the expectations by other people. Because what I think happens is once we begin taking that day of rest, we realize that it's going to affect every other day of the week. I dare say you might actually begin to look forward to it. And so you begin preparing ahead of time to look forward to that day. And it, it hopefully encourages us to, to check the pace of life in which we are walking. And if we are bound to the Father, to the Son, then our pace through the week will slowly, will slow down as well. So it's not just going to impact one day, but it's going to impact the way that we are living our lives. Because as Jesus was teaching his disciples about what the Sabbath was, the Pharisees, so after Matthew 11, comes Matthew 12, where Jesus is teaching his disciples about the Sabbath. And they're walking through a field, uh, picking grain and eating it. And the Pharisees said, wow, you can't work on the Sabbath. What are you doing? And Jesus, in all of his grace, comes along and says, well, what do you do when you're hungry? You would eat. And Jesus continues to teach. And he says, is it, and the, the Pharisees say, is it wrong to heal on the Sabbath? And Jesus says, it's okay to do good on the Sabbath. He's embedding us into a philosophy that says, it's not about the right and the wrong things that we need to do but Jesus says for the son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath because he's saying it's more important to be bound to me than about worrying about the right and the wrong things to do for the son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath and I think what we unintentionally do is we we begin planning our day off we begin getting all of our things done. We have our list of things that must happen is that we slowly put ourselves as the Lord of our own Sabbath, not making it holy, not setting it apart. And then we are claiming lordship over that day, not intended the way that it's supposed to be. So I think Jesus is showing us there's, there's a different way. And so when I look and I say, so then how do we do this? How do we do this thing well? I think there's, there's two different ways that we see, the, that we, see we, we see it going. The first one is we like, we're like the Pharisees and we like want the list of all the things that we can and cannot do. Or we, we see the gray. We see like, okay, what is work? 
you know, really Jesus was picking uh, wheat out of the harvest, like, what is work? So we don't have like a good philosophy of what work actually is. So we like want to live in that gray area. But what Jesus is calling us into is something far greater than that. He's saying, have a day that's set apart, that's holy, that we can connect with. I was reading a book called The Rest of God, talking about what it looks like to, to live a Sabbath. And Mark Buchanan says it this way. He says, I want to convince you in part that setting apart an entire day, one out of seven, for feasting and resting, worship and play is a gift and not a burden. But neglecting the gift too long will make your soul like soil never follow. It'll make it hard and dry and spent. I think we're invited into an opportunity for our souls to come alive on a daily basis. So what I want to do is I want to give us three things that we can begin to practice on this day off. It's not going to be a list of things uh, that are right and wrong to be able to follow, but it's going to be an attitude that we need to address when thinking about taking our Sabbath day. And the first one, and I think this needs to be a priority when it comes to our Sabbath day, is that we need to have an attitude of praise. We need to have an attitude of praise. Jesus is inviting us into this. Jesus is saying, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. So we need to follow that opportunity. And being here is that opportunity of praise. Together, corporately, we lift up the name of Jesus, remembering the goodness of what he's done in our life. This needs to be our priority in making a day set apart. Is it to be a day filled with praise? A day filled with remembering who God is. And the next thing that we need to do is sometimes we simply just need to pause. Sometimes you just need to stop. Psalms 46 says, be still and know that I am God. Sometimes we just need to be still, to pause and to reflect on what is actually happening. Because if you can't reflect and look back on your list of things that are exhausting you, then maybe you won't have a time to say, does some of this need to change? What can I do differently this next week? And some of those things on your list, as we wrote at the beginning, some of those things can't change. Right? You, you can't take yourself out of those situations, but I think we can, we can put different intentionality into those things. What does it look like to pause and to be still? Sometimes I think on Sunday, one of the most spiritual things that we can do is take a nap. You can say amen, that's okay. Yeah, taking a nap is great. Sometimes the most spiritual thing that we can do. My wife knows it. When I don't sleep, I'm grumpy. I'm not like a fun person to be around. So she'll say, you just need to go, you need to go to bed. Right? So sometimes we just need to learn how to be still. To have a moment to pause and reflect. Maybe it's to journal. Maybe it's to pray. Right, to, but to realign ourselves with the creator and not what we do during the week. That can have six other days. Right? But give, give God one day. Give him that one day to realign your heart with the Father. And the last thing we need to do is we need to play. We need to play. We can see God doing this even in the creation story. In the creation story, after the, the last few days, he says, and it was good. I think he took time to enjoy his creation, to sit back and just appreciate it, and to be able to play in those moments. 
And then even as Jesus is walking his disciples through the harvest, he says, it's okay to do good. It's okay to have fun. It's okay to play. It's okay to enjoy your kids. Let them be kids. It's okay to get down on the floor. It's okay to have fun. But what I think happens is we embellish this last point. And sometimes all we want to do is play to the detriment of the praise that God is supposed to have. So don't embellish the play. That should be a part of it, but not the full thing. Because when we can come back to the praise of who God is, that's going to lead us to a place where we learn how to feast on the bread of life. How to understand that Jesus is our living water.